Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Here we are, episode 200. Alright, so, <laughs> here we are on episode 200. I think for this episode, I am going to uh, do a little bit of a uh uh you know so so last episode 100 i did a sort of a, a a musical episode i i wrote a sort of a silly song that summarized a lot of the stuff that i had reviewed and then i i kind of showed you the side project i was working on that mixed kind of storytelling with music now i kind of want to uh showcase uh you know, some stuff I did with my band. It was, this was a long time ago, so I had, you know, you know, I, I, I was in this kind of prog rock band uh, called Spiral. I guess I am still technically in it. We we make music <laughs> every so often, uh, you know. And uh, at, uh, at one point, I had written short stories, and they always tied to a song. So there was a short story... And then a song with the short story. So what I think I'm going to do for episode 200, rather than, you know, talk about stuff uh, <laughs> I've reviewed in the past, like I did with episode 100, uh, for episode 200, I'm going to go ahead and read you one of the short stories, and then we could play the song uh, that is sort of based on the short story. So... Uh, with that being said, it, it, it also, uh, is, this is interesting, but you've all seen maybe the logo of Aaron's Horror Show. Uh, it kind of has a, a woman in water. Uh, it's a really cool photograph. Like, I, I found this uh, photograph a long time ago when I was searching for cool book cover <laughs> photographs, essentially. And uh, it was a, a photographer, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. I have it listed in the credits of all the books and 
and stuff like that. But it was a photographer that took this really cool photo and basically put it into public domain. So he, he took a really cool photo and, and said, have at it world. <laughs> you can use this photo. And I've used this photo many times. I've have it on, I think my author page on Facebook and it was the logo of Aaron's horror show. And, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, this photo has been everywhere, and it's also the cover of this short story. So the short story is called Photographs, and then we'll go ahead and play the song Photographs by Spiral. And just so you know, that song, I uh, play guitar on that song. I also sing the song. Uh, I don't play lead guitar. <laughs> I just play the rhythm guitar, but I, I play guitar on that song. I sing the song, and then my wife does the violin solo. So I'm playing guitar, and my wife is doing the violin, So, and I'm the, uh, I'll say quote-unquote singer, it's more screaming than singing, but, you know, that's my style. Uh, it's kind of heavy metal, so. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, I'll read you the short story now, and then we'll play the song, and boom, that is uh, your episode 200. All right, so photographs. What's that, Father? Kylie asked seven years ago. Rick told her the light indicated that they were alive. Now that she was a teenager, she knew what the light really meant. Impact warning. Large red blinking letters. When the light first went off, the whole panel flurried with warning lights and buzzers. Rick disabled all of them with the exception of one that reminded them they were still alive. While she was sitting in the pilot seat, Rick could ignore the light. During his daily routine, he often forgot about it. Check the engines. Consult the navigation charts. Ensure the conversion matrix was stable. The impact warning light continued to blink in the corner of his eye. He needed the reminder. If he slipped or got comfortable, the impact would no longer be a warning. Father, Kylie roused him out of an afternoon doze. Uh, I I'm awake, he protested. You're going to miss my recital. He quickly checked the panels. The ship seemed to be in working order. Rick was slightly bemused. Regardless of the circumstances, parents everywhere seemed to have the same problems with their teenage daughters, remembering those recitals. Irritated with her father, Kylie began setting up rows of chairs for the concert. Father had built a little stage in the half-circle room. The gray metallic walls were adorned with pictures of her, concerts, art projects, and even a monologue. It was a small 20-seat theater all to her. The large bay window was shuttered. Dad had bio-sealed the lock. Only he could open it. Father almost forgot. How could he forget? She'd been practicing for months. She didn't know how many times she listened to the songs with the violin removed. They were her mother's practice files. Mom was a violin player, so Kylie was a violin player by default. Dad didn't know anything about music, but they were lucky. Mom never deleted anything. She had every ebook on file ever since she was in kindergarten. Kylie never really knew her mom. She died a few months after Kylie was born. Mom's ebook collection, homework assignments, reports, research, emails, text messages, and pictures were all that was left. Kylie got fairly complete picture of her mom. Mother graduated top of her class, was a deep space explorer, met dad, a low-level ship technician during her brief stint at the academy fleet. Before Kylie was born, they bought a two-person deep space vessel. Dad would pilot and maintain the systems. Mom would scan and collect data. She'd beam the occasional research paper back to the academy. Those years seemed to make them 
the most happy, or at least they smiled in more pictures. Kylie's parents' wanderlust was not satisfied by the academy life. The academy fleets were too slow. They arrived at a new star system and spent weeks. They scanned, took air, water, soil, and core samples. If there was life, weeks would turn into months. Mom always tweeted, There are billions of planets and animals, and we categorize every one. Intelligent species are rare. No intelligence means move on. Kylie could almost hear her mom's voice say the tweets. Every status update, blog entry, and email Kylie would imagine her talking. It was as if her mom was talking to her daughter. Kylie heard her mom's voice once. She found an old communication system called Voicemail. On the system was a recording of her mom's voice. This is Julie. Leave a message. That was it. That's all Kylie needed to start imagining the sound of her voice. The day she discovered the greeting, Kylie sat reading the status updates. While the voice in her head was her mother's, the intonation of the words was probably father's. I can't wait for the new Star Trek movie. The asshole cut me off. Billions of miles of space. He could leave a little room for the other ships. Happy birthday, Mom. Rick and I are doing fine. Dad found the greeting a few weeks later and deleted it. Kylie was furious. That was the only audio from Mother she had. He told her it wasn't healthy. She always wondered what happened to the videos of her mother. Father told her that the data was corrupted in the attack. Kylie always had different theories, but she couldn't tell him those. Bringing up Mother was always a tenuous subject. She had to tread lightly. It's not a proper recital without an audience. Dad opened a compartment on the wall. Stuffed animals toppled from the opening. Dad, she complained, I'm not a child anymore. A picture on the wall displayed Kylie dressed as Tinkerbell in front of rows of stuffed animals. Okay, okay, the seats are just so empty. Dad began to stuff the animals back. I want her to watch, she said firmly. You know she's not alive, Dad protested. Dad, this is important to me, her eyes explained everything. Silently, Dad hit the door shutters. They sputter to life and reveal the majestic views of the stars racing past. In the center of the view, charging towards the spaceship, was a missile. Rick had never been a parent before. He didn't really know anything about it. Electronics, ship systems, and hardware had always been more comfortable than human-to-human -human interaction. That's why he asked for deep space exploration assignment. The problem with the Academy vessels was the fact that hundreds of people were cramped into a starship. Human-human interaction was a way of life. He thought it would be just him and the stars. That's when he met Julie. She didn't care about how awkward his face-to-face -face interactions were. She laughed at them. She thought he was funny. Rick was weird, a recluse, even a dork. But never funny. It was a nice change. That's why this hunk of junk was the best time of his life. His daughter always said that their smile seemed a little brighter after they left the academy and bought this piece of crap. It was falling apart, but Rick kept it together. The resources were scarce. The only incoming power was the atoms and the, the matter collected during the endless race in deep space. The ship collected atoms and turned them into fuel. Sometimes it collected bigger material, like an asteroid. They would celebrate and feast on the molecules. The printer had a matter converter put in a hunk of space junk and get fuel, spare parts, and even a steak dinner out of it. It broke down atoms. For example, an iron atom could be stripped of neutrons, electrons, and protons until it became a carbon atom. The spare neutrons, electrons, and protons would make more carbon atoms. Thus, 
in goes an asteroid, out comes a dinner for months on end. The system could last forever, so long as Rick replicated parts to keep it going. He even tempted replicating a weapon to destroy his pursuer, but smaller blasts and beams didn't confuse the tracking software. Larger weapons seemed too risky, the ship's hull wasn't really equipped for war, and the missile was a little too close. The detonation would shred the hull. He even tried faking out the missile by flying through nebulas, around asteroids, and even around other unmanned space vessels. But the targeting sensors are too damn good. They would only target the ship. He couldn't outmaneuver it, so he had to rely on Plan B, outrun the missile. Unfortunately, Plan B began 15 years ago. Kylie went through her social networking pictures again. She wished Mom could have heard her play. Dad listened, but he never really understood music. At least not how he imagined Mom would understand music. Mom would feel the flow. Dad just listened. The ship made music. The hum of the engine and the occasional clang of the matter converter. Even the bridge lights would blink the rhythm of the ship. The missile had music. It was a low roar, but music nonetheless. Dad didn't understand. He always said that Kylie didn't get musical talent from him. When Kylie was younger, she secretly thought the missile was carrying her mother. Mom was smart and capable. Kylie knew from her blog entries and academic papers. Mom must have escaped the scavengers, ejected the missile core, froze herself, climbed in the missile, and it was always trying to reach us. Dad said the fantasy was impossible. The missile used explosive plasma core as fuel. Eventually, the plasma would run out, rendering the impact harmless. If Mom injected the core, the missile would have no fuel. Kylie didn't believe him when she was little, or at least she wanted to believe that her mom would come home one day. It was later. She couldn't remember when she realized Mom couldn't be inside the missile. There was no oxygen inside, much less a cryo unit to put Mom to sleep. Mom was gone. Kylie had cried for a week. Dad didn't know what was going on. Later, Kylie learned that Dad skipped breakfast for a whole week trying to cheer her up with replicated animals. Dad said scavengers shot Mom. They were a fearsome mix of alien and humans. They preyed on ships like Dad's. Without the protection of the Academy, small ships were in danger. However, her mom and dad took precautions. They had one of the fastest ships in deep space. Armed vessels could not compete. Dad stripped weapons, haul, and everything for speed. The scavenger surprised them. Her parents saw an interesting asteroid scan and showed a new element at the core. Most heavy elements degraded when the atomic number got too high. How was the element stable? Even though mining, asteroid geology, or other quantum physics wasn't the specialty of either of her parents, the mystery was too good to pass up. The epic acceleration of their ship didn't count for much in an asteroid field. The readings were a trap. The scavengers locked down their ship and took them prisoner. The men, women, and children were usually separated. Kylie was three months old. They separated them. The baby would die. And babies fetched a decent price at most slave markets. Kylie liked to think that she remembered. Somehow she could hear her mom's voice negotiating with their captors. Dad knew that if they didn't act quickly, they would have no hope. Most slaves weren't used for labor. Robots worked hard and cost less than slaves anyways. Slaves were sold for pleasure, experimentation, or worse. He told Kylie the story shortly after her 15th birthday. Think you have the right to know. Something was wrong with his dad. His breath smelled funny, and he had poor motor control. He drank some brown liquid. Kylie had never seen him drink the liquid before, nor again. She was glad, because he scared her that night. He swigged and continued. Your mother was killed because of me. Her stomach and chest clenched. She couldn't say anything. 
we were taken by scavengers, like I told you before. Your mom convinced them not to separate us. They were taking us back to the pens when I heard the change in the engine noise. We had cleared the asteroid field and were in open space. We just needed to make it back to our ship. I was pretty good at keeping a map in my head. I knew the way we had came. He drank again. Kylie couldn't speak. She could barely process. My arms were tied, so I rushed them. Mom's hands were free carrying you. She used the distraction to get a gun. She shot them both. We freed my hands and I took the gun. There was no alarm, but I'd been on ships long enough to know that the bridge would detect small arms fire. We ran. I killed two more that we surprised. I got to the ship, and an unarmed man was working on the clamps. I pointed the gun at his head and told him to undo the clamps. Kylie never heard this part. Her parents killed people? He did what I said. I probably should have shot him, but I didn't. I told him to stand back while we boarded. He pulled a gun and shot while the hatch shut. Your mother turned to protect you. He was aiming for you. I grabbed you while your mother collapsed. Her last words were, fly. Your mother bled out while I escaped. They got off a missile, of course. I'm sorry you didn't get the childhood we planned for you. Without another word, he left Kylie alone. The missile was her comfort that night, as it had been so many times before. When she was young, she sang to it and treated it as a, a guest in her dinner parties. It was like her friend. She knew it was a missile. She knew that if they ran out of fuel, the missile would kill them, and she had grown up with it. The missile was her missile. Her mom may not be hiding inside, but it was always there. A loud clang broke Kylie from remembering. The ship violently shuddered. The room turned end on end while the ship banked. Everything in the room that wasn't bolted to the ground toppled to the wall. She bruised her head on a chair leg. The ship turned back upright and everything crashed to the floor. She scrambled to climb out of the pile of chairs. Her mother's violin shattered against the wall. She looked towards the large window. The missile was closer. With deft maneuvering, Rick narrowly avoided being struck by the missile. The impact warning light flickered like it usually did, but this time was different. The missile almost slammed into the observation lounge in the aft of the ship. He quickly took manual control and pulled the ship away at the last moment. But it wasn't enough. The missile was so close that one misstep and they would be dead. He lost too much. He brought her too far. She could not die now. A simple fuel conversion blip created the problem. Sometimes the conduits that transfer the atoms needed cleaning. During a particular dirty cleaning, the result would be a loss in fuel pressure and a momentary lapse in speed. With a missile tirelessly hunting them down, that momentary lapse could mean death. Normally, Rick would preempt the cleaning. He'd switch the conduit months before it was necessary, just to be sure there'd be no slowdown during the cleaning. The conduits didn't need another change for at least two months. The system must be wearing out. How much fuel did the missile have left? Luckily, he was at the flight station when the slowdown occurred. He banked the ship without thinking. While the missile turned to match his course correction, the fuel converter finished the cleaning. The ship was safe. However, the missile was too close for comfort. Even encountering something like a minor gravity field could throw off the balance and cause impact. After the initial shock of the incident, he realized his daughter may have been injured. He almost left the council when she appeared in the doorway. Dad? She said. Her head was bruised. Are you all right? He inspected the bruise on her head. She had gotten worse as a child. I I'm fine. Just a bump, she assured him. I'm sorry, he began. I had no choice. I'm, I'm glad you're okay. Are we going to die? She asked. Not if I can help it. 
he said, but he wasn't really sure. The missile showed no signs of running out of fuel, and it could have another five minutes or another twenty years. There's no way to be sure. Now that the missile's so close, there's no room for error. Errors occurred. The missile was always a healthy distance to give Rick some time to correct the errors. Any problem, no matter how small, could result in impact now that it was so close. Kylie guided Dad back to the observation room. The missile was close enough to take up a large part of the observation room window. Dad stared at the missile, lost in thought. For a brief moment, Kylie felt like family. Her father and her mother were here together. She knew it was a childish fantasy, but it was better than being scared. Dad stared at the missile for a long time and said, Do you remember how to pilot the ship? Yes, Father, Kylie said, not sure what he was getting at. A lump formed in her throat. Do you remember how to get the Academy space and how to contact them? He asked. His voice sounded serious. Yes, she was really scared now. This is serious. I have to be sure. Yes, Father. I know how to get back to Academy space and how to contact them. I also know that I should have no contact with any other vessel for any other for any reason. We've been over this a dozen times. He grilled piloting, maintenance, communications, and every important ship function into her head for years. But it was always in case he died. Father couldn't die now, not with the missile so close. I'm going out there, Dad said. Don't do it, Daddy, she pleaded. I have to. The missile is close enough now that I could probably make it in a spacesuit and a jetpack. I may even have enough for the return trip, but I have to try and disarm it. There must be a control panel, and please, Daddy, don't. She was in full-on panic mode. I have to try. His resolve stopped her. I love you, Daddy. The airlock hissed as the vacuum of space surrounded Rick. The hatch whirred around him, and the door to the void opened. His daughter watched through the window. Tears rolled down the side of her face. He had to do this for her. Life on the ship wasn't really a life worth living. He wanted more for her than the ship. Rick walked in space plenty of times. However, he didn't really know anything about disarming missiles. He had enough engineering knowledge to give it a chance. It was better than their chances if he continued the chase. Every technical problem brought the missile closer and closer. The ship was wearing out, the missile still traveling strong. Each year was gambling with his daughter's life. Rick pulled himself outside the airlock. Even though he traveled at speeds that would tear his suit apart in the atmosphere of a planet, the stars barely seemed to move. In space, there was nothing to slow him down, so he drifted in what seemed like a leisurely pace from the ship, even though he was traveling at breakneck speeds. If Rick had more time, he could have replicated a cable to tether himself to the ship, but he didn't want to risk it, especially if the converter was on the fritz. He flipped the switch for the jetpack and aimed towards the missile. Hopefully the designers of the missile didn't count on anyone being crazy enough to send a person to land on one. If there was some sort of sensor to detect his presence, the missile would surely detonate. He traveled the distance between the ship and the missile. For the first time in years, Rick wanted to see Julia again. He didn't want to die. He longed for his life in the past. Despite what would probably be his last thoughts, he was strangely calm. With all he had lost, he had a daughter. If she didn't survive, Rick didn't know what he would do. She had given him comfort plenty of times. He landed on the missile's hull with a clank. His magnetic boots clicked into place. There was no explosion. He was not dead for now. The hull of the missile was pockmarked with meteor impacts. The missile should have fallen apart years ago, but it kept going. It was a tough missile, but also one designed for long-term space travel. Rick recognized the design of the hull. It was an ally used by a savage alien race that would devastate a civilization from a distance and clean up the mess later. It was probably one of the most heinous missiles ever invented. 
an enemy could fire it years before it would reach the target. The Academy and most of the intergalactic races banned them years ago after they won the war of the race who had invented the missiles. Most missiles like these hit their targets years after the war was over. It figures that scavengers would have gotten hold of one of these. This type of missile reminded him of stories he heard from Earth. The warring nations used to plant bombs like they were trees. Years after the war, people would walk through the forest and set off the bombs. People became casualties of some long-forgotten war. Rick wanted to make sure that his daughter wasn't one of them. An older missile gave him the advantage. There probably wouldn't be two advanced countermeasures. Rick was sure that he would think of some way to disarm it. There was an access panel on the hall. He pried the plate off with a torch. No explosion yet. He was doing well. There was a mess of wires and electronics under the plates. After a careful study, he was fairly certain he could cut the control center. Theoretically, the missile would never detonate without the command from the control center. He found several backup lines as well. He could cut the brain off the missile, and it would shut down. Rick waved to his daughter, just in case. Kylie ran back to the observation lounge. Her dad was crazy. She couldn't believe that he was thinking about landing on the missile. She watched him drift from the ship to the missile. Why couldn't they just continue on? The missile was bound to run out of fuel. She fought back many tears because he knew that Dad needed her. He would succeed in disarming it, and she could swing by to pick him up. Or maybe her childhood dream was true. Maybe it wasn't a missile, but some sort of life-preserving escape castle. Dad landed on the missile, and he, and he didn't explode. Maybe he had a chance. She really didn't know anything about missiles or bombs. Only what the movies stored on Dad's hard drive told her. He said that movies were inaccurate. Did Dad see a ticking clock in the missile? Was it counting down? She doubted her father saw any of that. He probably saw what he liked to call the guts of a ship. From the pictures of real guts she saw, the world of ship behind the sleek metal panels looked nothing like guts. Dad had taken a panel off the missile. He was inspecting something. After what seemed like an eternity, Dad turned towards her. He raised his arm and waved. She waved back and probably couldn't see her. She didn't know that seconds later, her world would end in a flash of fiery red. Rick steeled his nerves and turned towards the mess of electronics. The lights on the control panel pulsed with signals that only technicians could decipher. One short blink and two longs for a functioning targeting system? But a failed detonation system? He could only be so lucky. He really couldn't be sure. Rick cut the connections. The lights blinked red. Damn. The image of the missile spinning out of control and exploding with Dad on board burned into Kylie's memory for a very long time. She stared at the old photographs of her parents long enough to burn new images into the brain. Eventually the missile faded from memory. She wanted to create new photographs. Her husband always thought of her obsession with photographs was a little old-fashioned. She knew that photographs, journals, and status updates are what people leave behind. Even though her children would know her beyond the artifacts of her life, she still couldn't help but create them. There was a photo her parents took of themselves back on Earth with a monument from the capital city in the background. Kylie wanted to take the same photo with her husband. She needed to take the photo. That's how she remembered her parents. That's how she wanted her children to remember her. All right, so that was the photograph's short story. And now here is the photograph song by Spiral. <laughs> 